Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. The story you're about to hear is a true birth story. It's the real deal, and it may not be appropriate for sensitive ears. On today's episode... I got to the point where I couldn't leave the apartment. My anxiety was intense, skyrocketing, and I was super, super depressed. I thought it was just because I had just had a baby and I wasn't really sleeping. I'm snapping at my wife for every single little thing, and she finally looks at me and says, you're not okay. And I break down, and I said, you're right, I'm not, I'm not okay, I need, I need to see someone. And so I got help. Welcome to episode three. Hey, I'm your host, Christy Williams. My guest today is a first-time mom. She's a vulnerable force of nature. Let me tell you, some of the things that she shares with me have helped me better process my own birth experience and recovery. So I'm very grateful to her. She is a lesbian. She opens up with me about how her and her wife chose a sperm donor. We talk about the realities of conception when you're someone who doesn't have a male partner, changing doctors when you don't feel supported by your healthcare provider. We talk about what induction is like, how to navigate through some very difficult postpartum mental health struggles, how to find a therapist that's right for you. And also she shares some really valuable information about knowing your rights when it comes to finding a free, let me repeat that, a free lactation consultant. I'm so glad you've joined us for another great candid conversation all about the real experience of becoming a mom. I'm Christy Williams, and this is Birth. When did you know you wanted to be a mother? Um, When I was a little girl, I always played with dolls. I played with dolls maybe a little too long. Um, and I just liked the idea of nurturing something. And I knew one day that when I was in a good relationship, I wanted to be a mom. <laughs> yeah. So when you met the love of your life, mm -hmm. how did it come up that you guys wanted to maybe have a family together? What was that conversation like? It took a lot of convincing because she did not want to get married. She did not want kids. She wanted to be in a very committed relationship. But those things were kind of off the table for her. And so we dated for a long time, as you know, and uh -huh. we were on again, off again a couple times. Um, but really, the the passing of her mom kind uh -huh. of made her long for family to create a family of her own so that she knew she had a home. And she was kind of, I guess she was kind of sad that she couldn't do that before her mom. But I don't know that before her mom passed, sorry. Mm -hmm. I, but I don't know that she would have ever been ready had her mom not passed. Not that her mom needed right. to pass, but... Um, no, but it probably made her appreciate family. Yeah. And so after her mom passed, we got married. And mm -hmm. then um, we, as soon as we got married, I took my IUD out. Uh -huh. And um, I was like prepping my body to get pregnant. And... Then we just did it. We didn't know how we were going to do it. And initially we thought we would just like buy sperm. Uh -huh. um, but I had been on 
quite a bit of medication. And so I was like, I'm going to get off my medication. I went and saw an OBGYN because previously I'd been told that I couldn't have kids. Really? Um, what? Do you mind if I ask why? I had some trauma growing mm. up and there was a lot of damage to my uterus. And I had a miscarriage at like 23, 24. Mm-hmm. And at that time I was told that I could not have kids, that I could get pregnant, but I couldn't keep the pregnancy. Oh, wow. Um, and so my wife decided that I should get a second opinion. Yeah. And so we went to an OBGYN and got this second opinion, and she said that I was completely fine. And so I got off all my medication. I took my IUD out, and I only had that because I didn't want a period. Mm-hmm. So, because um, you know, why do lesbians need IUDs? But um, it's great. <laughs> I have one. Yeah, I love it. So um, I took that out, and then we talked a little bit here and there about where we would find this magical sperm. <laughs> and um, or how we would come up with the money to get um, a donor, a donor, not so much a donor, because that's actually not that expensive. Oh, OK. Um, but if it takes more than one try, which normally it does, it can add up real quick. But we thought maybe in vitro. But then my wife sitting at the bar, um, her favorite <laughs> bar with her best friend and He's kind of, I guess he was kind of sad that he's an only child from his two parents. Mm. He has other siblings, but he's the only one from his mom and dad. And, right. Um, he wanted a way to pass on his family stuff, like his- His genetics. His genetics, his traditions, his stuff, mm-hmm. just all of the stuff. Mm-hmm. And he said, um, I would be really honored if you guys considered me as a donor. Wow. And my wife came home and she told me that. And without hesitation, I said, yeah, of course. Like, he's your best friend. Why not? He was the best man at our wedding. Why Mm. not make this magical gaby? Um, (laughs) What a special moment. Oh, my gosh. Summer came along and I knew that I did not want to be pregnant in summer. So the plan was to get pregnant in summer so that the following summer I would not be super large and uncomfortable. (laughs) So... I had him come over and he went in the bathroom and did his stuff. And um, then I went in the bathroom and did my stuff and it didn't take the first time. Mm. And I was really bummed and was like, okay, it's not going to happen. We'll just, we can be fine. Just the two of us. We'll have cats and dogs and we'll be fine. In case you're wondering, like I was, uh, what the logistics of a home insemination with donor sperm are, here's the lowdown. A home insemination kit usually includes a collection cup for the donor sperm, a syringe to place the sperm near your cervix in your vagina, and an ovulation test. Home insemination is just one way that you can try to conceive using donor sperm. And whether you're a lesbian or a woman with a desire to become a single mother by choice, or you have a male partner, but he's infertile or has some other condition that makes it necessary to try and conceive this way, a lot of people attempt home insemination first before going to a fertility doctor and trying other methods such as IUI, which is when a doctor puts a catheter through your cervix into your uterus and transfers the sperm directly to your uterus, or IVF, which is when the doctor takes an egg and a sperm and creates an embryo, and then places that inside your uterus to implant. There are pros and cons of home insemination. The pros are you can try to conceive in the comfort of your own home. 
It's more intimate. It's more private and it's cheaper. The cons include the fact that home insemination has a much lower success rate than IUI and IVF. And by doing a home insemination, especially with sperm from a friend or a known donor, you are opening yourself up to more risk, both legally and medically. You know, so just make sure you study your local laws that might create potential problems down the road if the donor tries to come back and get parental rights or claim custody. Consult a lawyer and protect yourself. Protect yourself also by having your donor take an STD test and a genetic test maybe as well. You know, other than that, home insemination is a super great option for a lot of people. And then the following month, they both traveled to San Diego and I was like, I'll just go to San Diego. We'll get it done. But it didn't happen. And then the following month, a horror movie came out and um, the donor and I are really into horror movies. (laughs) So I told him that I had a plan and we would do four days in a row. And so each day we went over and the first day my wife and I brought a bottle of absinthe. And so we all took a shot of absinthe. (laughs) Um, Our donor went to his bedroom and had a little moment to himself. And then I took the stuff and went into the bathroom. And then we all went to a movie and we watched it. It was it. (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, And then 10 days later, I found out I was pregnant. That, I think, is the best (laughs) conception story I have ever heard. (laughs) What a unique experience And now you have this beautiful child who Mm -hmm. has this amazing conception story. Yeah. And it's, he's got a huge family now. Yeah. Um, Because we know our donor and we have him involved as his uncle Mm -hmm. and I guess his godfather too. He's just, he's got more. I think Mm -hmm. we were able to give him more than, than he could have had, had we bought some random sperm off the internet. Wow. (laughs) So was there ever a question about which one of you and your wife would carry the child? Was it always going to be you because you wanted it more? Or was what was that discussion like? It was always going to be me first. My wife toyed with the idea of maybe caring, but she knows she doesn't want to do that. Mm. So um, we do want a second one, but that's all on me. So, And I'm fine with that. I, I definitely want to carry one more. And I don't know that I, we only want to, so I don't know if I would be okay with her changing her mind, but uh, I would deal with it. Um, right. But yeah, I'm, I'm the carrier. <laughs> and how did the pregnancy go for you? Was it, did you really enjoy it? Was it difficult? Tell me about like the morning sickness, the everything. What, were you surprised by anything? I loved being pregnant. I was super, super happy. I had never been that happy. Uh, My skin looked good. My hair looked good. I was just, I loved it. I was also really, really nauseous. I only threw up a couple times, but I was nauseous all the time. Uh, Eating anything was hard. Drinking anything was hard. I was basically like sucking on candy or ice for a long time. And also monthly, I was spotting. And it always happened when my wife was on her period And so we wondered if it was like a lesbian thing, like, you know, you're so close with women, your, your cycles link up. And we didn't know if that was happening. My body was just still in tune with hers, but, um, did you ask a doctor about it? Yeah. She she said, no, that's probably not a thing. Um, Mm. but I did, I had to have more appointments because of that. 
And I had a lot more ultrasounds because of that, but he was always okay. Mm. Um, it was worrisome for me though, because I had had that previous miscarriage. Right. I was always worried that I was losing the pregnancy. Yeah. How was your, sorry, what were you saying? I was going to say, but beyond that, I was super happy. How was your prenatal care? Did you like your doctor? Did you feel like you were happy with the choice you made? Where did you deliver and what was your choice? Like, did you know you were going to deliver in a hospital or what was your plan? I always wanted to deliver at a hospital. Home delivery was never in my radar. My first OBGYN that I saw before even getting pregnant, I always made it really clear to her that I was a lesbian and that my partner was always present. And after I became pregnant, she kept mentioning things like the father, um, very not open to my wife who was sitting in the room. Hmm. And to the point where my first ultrasound with her, um, she only showed it to me. And I said, this is my wife right here and she would like to see. And after that, my wife was very upset. Reasonably so. Very reasonably so. That shocks me, actually. Yeah, it shocked I mean, we me We live too. in a very progressive city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I said, you know what? Let's not go back to her. So it's good for you. I asked a friend who had delivered at Cedars where her OBGYN was because I knew that her OBGYN was gay mm. and would probably be more accepting and more open to more. our our family. Unfortunately, that doctor was full, but his practice had an opening. Um, So I saw another doctor there, and um, that was in Beverly Hills. And I delivered at Cedars and loved the experience. Really? She was great. She's actually still following my kid on Instagram. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's that's a special doctor. My delivery room was huge, and I had a window and could see the Hollywood sign. It was it was great. For the 27 hours I was in there, it was great. <laughs> 27. Okay, we're yeah. going to get to that. So you're going along, your pregnancy is fine. You're nauseous pretty much every trimester the whole mm. time through. As you're approaching delivery, right? What are your feelings? Are you feeling afraid? Are you feeling confident? What's going through your mind? Because this is your first baby. Mm-hmm. So... I was ready to get him out. Mm -hmm. I was uncomfortable. He was a big baby. And my sister kept saying, that's controlled chaos inside. Mm -hmm. Once once he's out, the chaos is present. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really, I was like, nah, nah, it's fine. I just, (laughs) I need him out so that I can start sleeping again. (laughs) Um, I couldn't get comfortable anywhere, sitting, standing, laying. I just, I wanted him out. And- I don't know that I was scared at all. I just thought, you know, it's going to be great. I'm going to have this baby. I mean, pregnancy was amazing. So I thought deliveries can't be that bad. Like, Oh, boy. It's going to be amazing. Um, and so did you have a birth plan? <laughs> I did, yes. And I think before my last trimester, the plan was to go into labor and to let it all happen. And then we would go to the hospital and then the rest of the plan would roll out as it played out. Mm -hmm. But the larger I got, the more uncomfortable I got. And we decided to get him induced. Okay. Was it after your due date? When I made it all the way through the 40 weeks. Okay. Yeah, it's 40 weeks. Uh (laughs) Um, And decided I'm going to have him out now. And so I wanted to have the day picked Mm -hmm. and the time picked and thought it would all just happen pleasantly like I wanted. He was due on a Friday and I had him the previous Monday. So just 
four days before. Okay. Um, and so how was the induction for you since that was a planned um, so my wife and I had a night out the night before and we wanted to just have one last hurrah before we became a family of three instead of two. And then we showed up at the hospital at 8 a.m. scheduled as planned and everyone who was going to be there knew like, okay, this is a scheduled baby. It's going to be great. Everyone showed up at the right time and people were in their places and my what do you mean came. everyone? You mean the um, you had people in the room with you? Yes. Who was um, in the room? My mom was in the room. My stepdad was for a little bit um, until things got, mm-hmm. you know, a little intense and he needed to leave. Our donor came to the hospital and stayed for a while, stayed until the baby was born. And my sister was there. Okay. In the room? Your sister was in the room too? Yeah. yeah. So my doctor comes in and she puts this... I don't even know what it is, a pill or something up my vagina that's supposed to help get things going. Mm-hmm. And then she sticks this little ball inside me. I guess it inflates once it's mm-hmm. inside your to vagina. S- to <laughs> stretch your cervix. Yeah. 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 That must have felt really painful. Did it? I had had a kidney stone before oh. and I thought, well, this kind of feels like that. Mm. Very, very unpleasant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It felt like I had to pee a lot, Mm -hmm. Um, and my doctor said to expect that, and that I needed to push the ball out myself, and that would help my cervix open up. And so when I finally went to the bathroom, this ball pops out, and I'm actually screaming for excitement because I thought that this was it. I'm going to have the baby now. (laughs) I am fully dilated. We're ready to go. Let's let's do this. And I was not that dilated. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's actually a really small ball. (laughs) Um, it's just to kind of get it going i guess yeah so when i was six centimeters dilated my doctor came in and broke my waters and she said it's going to feel like you're peeing a lot and every time i had a contraction a bunch of stuff Mm -hmm. came out and Mm -hmm. it was very unpleasant and really gross and i didn't like sitting in that and um i mean they don't keep you sitting in it they they change your paddings out Mm -hmm. but um it was really disgusting. Like an adult pissing herself is what it felt like. <laughs> right. How long did it take from the time that you started getting the induct? You had Pitocin or just, okay. So you started getting uh, Pitocin until you reached six centimeters. Did it take? No, I did not have Pitocin. Oh, you didn't? Okay. I, so you I did, contracting. but not until later. Okay. Um, because I wasn't dilating further. Got um, it. But six centimeters is pretty good though. I mean, it took yes. me like two days to get there. <laughs> oh, um, so I went into the hospital at eight. I got whatever that pill is. Mm-hmm. I wish I knew the name. Hey, it's Christy. I'm just interrupting real quick because I think it's super important that we talk about labor induction. I want to share some things with you that I didn't know. The pill that my guest today got is called a prostaglandin suppository. Prostaglandins are one method of induction. These are typically delivered via the vagina as a gel or suppository, but there are other forms. The goal with these medications is to allow the cervix to soften and prepare to open. It is often a starter method that is later combined with another option. Other options of labor induction are the breaking of the bag of water, A small hook-like device is used during a vaginal exam to gently nick the amniotic sac and create a tear to allow the fluid to release. The sac does not have nerves, so neither you or the baby will feel the tear. What you will feel is the vaginal exam, the release of water, and the movement of the baby. 
Another option is Pitocin. This is the synthetic version of the natural hormone to start contractions, and it is given via an IV line. And you'll be monitored to gauge its effectiveness. Dosing can be increased to create a realistic contraction pattern. Another method is the Foley catheter. This is a catheter with a balloon that is placed through the cervix and expanded with saline. Stripping of the membranes is another option that the doctor might try, and this is usually an office procedure and one of the only methods not used in the hospital. During a vaginal exam, your doctor or midwife will insert his or her finger into your cervix and attempt to separate it from the amniotic sac without breaking your water. This may or may not cause contractions and or cramping and sometimes spotting. Now, there are also some natural methods of labor induction. Let's talk about it. Many women are turning toward more natural methods of labor induction with some success. The definition of natural really varies in terms of the level of intervention required. The most common home induction tricks can include nipple stimulation. This can include manual or oral stimulation of the nipples. Some use a breast pump to help release natural oxytocin to cause labor to begin. Castor oil. This is typically taken orally in a variety of recipes, like a shake. It causes diarrhea and potentially dehydration, so it should only be used with the advice of your practitioner. Another method is sex. While the studies are mixed as to whether or not sex will bring on labor, the female orgasm does release oxytocin into the body, and semen does contain small amounts of prostaglandins. As long as it's something you want to do, and your water isn't broken, most practitioners think that this is a great method to try. Another method is relaxation and visual imagery. This is done as a way to relax you if you are feeling particularly anxious about the upcoming labor, being a parent, or whatever may be mentally preventing you from going into labor. Whether it brings on labor or not, it's a great way to promote rest, which is beneficial at the end of a pregnancy and will help you when labor does finally start. Sometimes labor stalls or is delayed at various stages. If your health or that of the baby would benefit from labor continuing more quickly, your practitioner may prescribe an augmentation of your labor. There are multiple methods of augmentation, including the use of pitocin, amniotomy, and other natural techniques that can be used as primary induction of labor method. Now, If induction of labor is brought up, be sure to ask your practitioner the questions you need answers to in order to feel confident about making a decision. Remember, the decision is yours. You should ask questions to make you feel comfortable about making the best choice for your body, for you, and for your baby. And here are some questions to consider. Ask them, why are you recommending induction of labor? Are there any alternatives to induction of labor? What would happen if I were to wait for labor to begin naturally? Is there some additional testing that we can do? What does induction of labor look like for your practice? For my situation, what methods would be used? What are the risks of induction for me personally and for my baby? If there are added risks, what can be done to mitigate them? And can I please have some alone time to think about this and talk with my partner? These conversations are important for you, for your baby, and for your practitioner. This will help make sure that everyone understands what is going on and what is the best thing for you and for your baby. When you do get induced, 
Keep in mind that how long it takes for labor to start depends on how ripe your cervix is and when your induction starts, the induction techniques used and how your body responds to them. Every woman is different. If your cervix needs time to ripen, it might take days before labor begins. If you simply need a little push, then you might be holding the baby in your arms in a matter of hours. Both scenarios are normal. This is something I did not know. When my labor wasn't kicking in and I got induced, I didn't understand that it could take days and that's fine. For some reason, I assumed that if nothing was happening quickly, then I was at risk of having to be rushed into a C-section for some reason. And I finally asked a nurse and I said, well, how long do I have before, you know, I have to have a C-section? Like if things aren't, aren't progressing, if they're not moving forward. And she said, what do you mean? No, no, no. We're not going to rush you. If the baby is fine and you're fine, then we're here for as long as it takes to get this baby out. And thank God this nurse was there for me in that time when I was feeling really stressed out. But just so you know, sometimes it takes a while. And if you're having fears or worries about how long it's taking, talk to your doctor, talk to your nurse, express your fears, and have them reassure you with the reality of the situation. The more open communication you have with your healthcare provider, with your partner, and with anyone supporting you in the room, then the better supported you can be and the smoother your induction process can go. The most difficult part for me with induction was the mental strain because I didn't know that sometimes it takes a really long time for your cervix to ripen and for the baby to be ready to come out. And that's okay. So try to try to relax. <laughs> Take a deep breath. Everything's going to be okay. A lot of the information that I shared with you just now comes from verywellfamily.com and also Mayo Clinic. Those are both great websites to check out. I recommend you take a look. Now let's get back to the conversation. I got whatever that pill is. Um, I got that at like 10 in the morning and then at seven o'clock at night. Wow. I was at six centimeters. Okay, so this is an all-day scenario. Yeah. Okay. And I was I was done already. I was ready to just have the baby. I yeah. Was, I was toying with the idea of just cutting it, the baby out of me, but I didn't want to do that unless yeah. it was medically necessary. Right. Were you in pain at all? Just pain that you could tolerate? I mean, you're contracting if you're getting to six centimeters. Right. right? Yeah. It was tolerable. Okay. Up until after she broke my waters. Ah, uh, there you go. And then I was not okay, and I couldn't get comfortable. And, um, so now my waters are out and my kid liked to stay on one side of my mm -hmm. body, but without the water, it was really, really painful. Mm -hmm. And because I'm contracting, he's pushing up. Mm -hmm. And so I have like this intense indigestion that isn't actually indigestion. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's on one side of me and the nurse is having to push him towards the center. And it was really, really uncomfortable. Oh, wow. And I am now seven, seven and a half centimeters dilated and I'm shaking with pain. But at this point, I'm like, I'm so far. Why, why get, why get an epidural? Oh, and wow. Really? You were going to complete the job. I was going to complete it. Yes. Oh, but wow. I'm like shaking and crying. And my wife says, why are you doing this to yourself? And so finally I decide, let's just get an epidural. Yeah. Yeah. And, um. How was she acting through this whole thing? Was she, did you feel like, because it's interesting because when mm -hmm. you're in the most vulnerable position mm -hmm. of your life, basically, right? 
and you have a partner that you love more than anything, it can be interesting how you respond to or they respond to you in that sort of moment. Before going into the hospital, I said, the only things you need to do are tell me you love me and tell me I'm pretty. Anything beyond that, don't do it. (laughs) And um, I had made a playlist of music and there was one point she was trying to get it working. It wasn't working on our little USB speaker. And I was like, just leave it alone. I need you right here to tell me I'm pretty and tell me I'm doing a good job. And she left it alone and she smiled and laughed. And for the most part, she was really, really good. She was uncomfortable though with my mom being there. And Mm. I didn't take that into account before Mm. that. So Mm. if we have another kid, it'll just be she and I Mm -hmm. in the room. So yeah. So she tells me at seven and a half centimeters, you need to get an epidural. Like you, you're putting yourself through unnecessary pain. Yeah. And I'm in so much pain and shaking that I can't even talk. So they almost didn't give it to me because I couldn't give them my name and my birthday. And I was like, just ask my wife. And they're like, no, you need to give it to us. And I didn't didn't register that why they were asking me was so that they knew I was fully coherent. Mm. Um, and so I finally gave them that and I couldn't stop shaking long enough for the anesthesiologist to stick the needle in my back. Mm-hmm. And finally, I just, I took a deep breath and he was able to do it. And then life got really pleasant. Oh, good. Um, I'm glad it works. Good. Yeah. And I had been a little short with the nurse. Well, and so understandably so. After I got the epidural, she was doing something. And I said, you know, I'm just really, really sorry if I was a jerk to you. <laughs> I was in a lot of pain and was not aware. So I'm sorry. And you are doing a great job. I was just, I was feeling really good. Yeah. Like, high as a kite and just great. She probably doesn't get apologized to ever. I mean, that's she her job. She switched out. Oh, wow. She didn't want to be my nurse anymore. She she came in and was like, I'm going to go um, deal with some other woman. So here's this nurse. Oh, wow. You huh. know what, though? You can't help it. You yeah. Help I, it. it was nothing about her. It was more about me not dealing with the pain. Like I should have gotten the epidural earlier, but that's life. You shouldn't have not done anything. This is your <laughs> your birth experience. You don't know how it's going to go. Yeah. I, I was not prepared for what had happened. So. Yeah, for sure. So you got the epidural at this point. It's like the middle of the night. It's the next morning. It's about nine o'clock at night. Okay. And so you had a restful. Were you able to sleep or no? No. Okay. No. Um, I did not know that there was a button you could push to add more medication. Oh no! And really? so after a while, it wore off, and I was just like, "This is not pleasant. Where's the drugs?" Hmm. Um, and I thought this is just taking too long. So that's why the medication wore off. Like, I guess that's it for me. And my wife is asleep. My mom is asleep. And I'm like turning every five minutes so that I don't get any bed sores and so that he doesn't get stuck. My child doesn't get stuck on one side again. And finally, I wake my wife up and she gets the nurse and the nurse is like, you know, there's a button you can push. And so seems like a simple thing they should have explained to you. Maybe they did. I don't know. But But it's good for anyone listening out there. There is a button so you can get more pain relief if you need it. As much as you want. Yeah. (laughs) Enjoy. Um, I add more medication and my doctor checks in one last time around midnight and says, I'll see you tomorrow. You're going to be here all night. 
And at that point, I started crying because mm. um, I wanted to be done, mm. but I was still really far away from being done. And then the next morning came, I was, I did not sleep that night. And around 9 a.m., my doctor checked on me again and I was, I still hadn't dilated much. And so that's when I got the Pitocin. Oh, wow. And um, things started moving along a lot faster. And I think at 1130, a nurse came in and said, we're going to practice pushing. And so she took her time getting things ready. And at like almost 12, we did like four pushes. My doctor came in, did three more, and the baby was out. Wow. Great. I'm glad to hear the pushing phase was easy. Yeah. No tearing, nothing. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Right. For a big baby, no tearing. That's amazing. Yeah. That's a that's probably a good team really helping you get that baby out. So so the baby was in no distress, everything was fine the whole time, or was there any scary moments during when the- he was the plan was for my wife to cut the umbilical cord and um I wanted to let the blood from my placenta fully come into mm-hmm. him. Um, through the umbilical cord, mm-hmm. I wanted it to finish pulsating. Yeah. And when he his head came out, the cord was wrapped around him twice. Okay. Um, around his neck. And um, the further he came out, the tighter it got. And so I was basically hanging my kid wow. as I was birthing him. And so my doctor had to cut it. And he came out very, very blue and he wasn't breathing. And um, it was really scary. And everyone's huddled around me. He's on my chest and everyone's saying, just breathe, just breathe. I'm holding my breath because I'm hoping that I can give him my breath. Mm. And then finally he breathes and everything is okay. So it was just a tiny moment of scariness, but. Oh, was the NICU there or was Mm -mm. just the doctor resuscitating Mm -hmm. him? So that moment that you did it, (laughs) he's out. What was that? What was that like? Um, I was in shock. I didn't expect a blue baby. I know that babies can turn all sorts of colors when right, they're born, right. um, but I did not expect him to be that bright blue hmm. color. So you were worried. I was I was really worried. And I thought, I just yeah. killed my kid. I just killed him as I gave birth. But then he breathed and it was all okay. But I was I was I was really worried. And I think from that moment on, I wasn't okay. Hmm. I took a big dive down into like anxiety. Am I going to hurt my kid? Mm. Is anything I do from this point forward going to kill him? Like I was really, really concerned and um, I still had not slept yet. Yeah. It's Um, a long time not to sleep and not to eat. Yeah. And I hadn't eaten. And another thing with the pregnancy, I was allergic to a lot of foods. And so when they gave me food, it was like fruit. Mm. fruit and steamed veggies and that wasn't gonna hold me off no no, (laughs) Um, that's not doing it but he's born everything's great everyone comes and sees him and and so I asked for an hour of just my wife and I to have time with him and uh, my wife had some skin-to-skin contact because it was really important for me that they have that bonding moment yeah And I think maybe two hours later, we invited our donor in. And he was the first one beyond my wife and I to hold him. And that was a really good moment for him. Good. Oh, I bet. And then I got transferred to this really, really tiny room. And I said, okay, everyone needs to go now. (laughs) I'm done. It was nighttime before I knew it. And I was still not sleeping. And I wasn't 
I was trying to get things going and I wasn't nursing well. Did you do any research on the nursing and, or was that all brand new to you? I mean, I asked a lot of questions to Mm -hmm. friends who had been there, done that. Right. I watched some videos. Mm -hmm. I read some books. But beyond that, I was so not prepared for nursing. Mm. Um, But I knew it was something I wanted to do. I was not nursed as a kid. And so I knew it was something that because I didn't have it, I wanted to at least give it a good shot. Right. And um, by the end of the first day, both of my nipples were cracked. Oh, and black and blue. And, oh, boy. And I was asking for the lactation consultant because mm-hmm. you get to see one at a hospital. Mm-hmm. And um, she was too busy. Really? Yeah. I didn't see her until 10 minutes before I checked out. And it was like a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am oh, type no. thing. It was, yeah, it was bad. So what advice then would you give for someone to help avoid what you went through? I mean, did it just take time for you to figure it out? or? Um. The, Did he have a, t- a tongue tie or a lip tie or anything? He has a lip tie. Oh, okay. So um, maybe that was part of the problem. But the lactation consultant checked him and said that he was fine. Okay. And So that's a little frustrating. Yeah, it was really frustrating. He was born on a Monday mm-hmm. and the lactation consultant was out on Sunday and Monday. And so she was overwhelmed, I think. I think mm. I don't know that there was enough staff mm. with all the babies. Someone had had twins. Someone was going, wasn't producing milk. Like right. other things were going on. And I don't know that there was anything else I could have done because I kept asking, I need to see the lactation right. consultant. I need to see the lactation consultant. The nurses were trying to help as much as possible, but I... It's so frustrating yeah. when you can't get help. Right. Yeah, kind of the thing that helped me the most was when I learned you have to put as much of your boob mm-hmm. in the baby's mouth as possible. If there's a physiological problem like a tongue tie or a lip tie and it's not diagnosed, there's nothing you can do about that. Yeah. You know, that's difficult. But yeah, breastfeeding can be such a challenge for so many people. And it's such a sacrificial, like wonderful thing to do mm-hmm. for your child. But so- if it's not going well, then ugh, it affects like everything. And then you're healing. So were you managing the the post-birth pain? Okay. What was that like, the healing process for the first few days or week? Like, were, was, were you shocked by that? Was it not as bad as you thought? I mean, it felt like my lips were so swollen. Mm. And um, I had also got really bad edema in my legs. Oh, wow. Um, and I was told it was from the epidural and Pitocin, yeah, but yeah. it was bad. Like I had my legs doubled in size. And so it made walking very uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and sitting very uncomfortable Mm -hmm. was partly due to my swollen labia. Yeah, of Um, course. I mean, it was tolerable pain. Like I wasn't taking extra medication. Yeah. But it was really uncomfortable. Okay. Um, My um, sister had had Pitocin and an epidural and she didn't have that problem. Hmm. And so no, I feel like after I gave birth, all of these things that people are like, oh, yeah, that happens. Yeah. It's like, what? why didn't you tell me that before? It's so true. Girl, this is why I'm doing this podcast because there's just like so many details that I guess because a birth immediately follows sleep deprivation and hormonal craziness and all these things 
that maybe people do legitimately forget. I find it sometimes hard to forget all those things. <laughs> like, oh yeah, it was it was really bad. Yeah, this comes up a lot. Oh yeah, that also happened to me. We need a community where we're telling the truth and the details of the physiological things that you go through, which is why I'm doing this. <laughs> okay, I'll get off my soapbox. So, so that was painful, your legs and everything. Yes. And when we got home from the hospital, there was a lot of stressors around that. So mm. I wasn't able to just sit with my legs up and take care of myself the way I needed to. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can tell you about that. Yeah. <laughs> that was insane. Yeah. Um, please do. So we sent my dog to my parents' house while we went to the hospital. We wanted someone to watch him and we didn't know how long we would be there. We also had three cats. And sometime while we were in the hospital, a bunch of fleas made their home in my apartment, specifically in our bed because that's where the cats slept. Oh, my God. Um, And so we get home and I am now nursing around the clock this kid. Not very well. It's painful. And he is – my kid is very upset because he's not getting the amount of milk that he would like to get. Mm -hmm. And now I'm starting to get eaten alive by these bugs that I don't know what's going on. It took me a couple days to figure out that there's fleas and it took us six weeks to get rid of them. This is like a horror movie. It was nuts. Yeah. We got rid of all of our rugs. I had my wife and our donor wrap up the couches in plastic and I was like, just put them on the curb. I don't want them anymore. Wow. We did all of that nesting, you know, we cleaned everything and now we're home with a brand new baby and our house is being ripped up basically. We were doing laundry every single day, like everything, the curtains, the bedding, everything was being washed over and over and over again. My wife and I are in the laundromat with our brand new baby and our laundromat is not very nice. Um, It's like on a really shady corner and there's homeless people in there, which, you know, They need somewhere to be. It's nothing against them except that I did not want to be there with my brand new baby right after giving birth. Tiny baby, yeah. It was nuts. And so finally we hired Orkin. Mm -hmm. I I really wanted to do things the natural way because I have this brand new baby that I don't want to expose to these chemicals. But Fleas carry disease too, right? So So we had Orkin come and they came like every two weeks for a little bit and then they were gone. The fleas were gone. But – in that meantime, I had to decide what to do with the animals. Like, yeah. we had a dog and three cats. Wait. It's time for Fun Facts You Didn't Know About Giving Birth. You've probably heard a lot of people talk about how cool it is that a woman's body is capable of expanding to allow a baby through their pelvis, through their vagina, and into the world. And yes, that is super cool. But did you know newborns are also equipped with their own special superpower of sorts that allows them to squeeze safely down the birth canal? Babies are born with 300 bones. These bones eventually fuse together to become the 206 bones that adults have. But many of your newborn's bones are made entirely of cartilage or partly of cartilage which is a flexible connective tissue that allows the baby to be malleable and bendy enough to both curl up and fit inside of a small womb and also to squeeze through the birth canal during delivery and come out into the world. Your body is definitely working hard to transform and allow the baby to be born, but that baby is also doing their part. 
And now back to the show. We had a dog and three cats. Um, so now we no longer have cats. And it was really, really hard. And my wife has a really hard time talking about it. I mm. cried about it for a very long time because yeah. I didn't intend to get animals that I couldn't keep forever. Of course. Um, yeah. Wow. So you're already dealing with major emotional, hormonal craziness in your body. And then on top of that, yeah. you have this, you know, you have to give up your basically babies before you mm -hmm. had your baby, right? Mm -hmm. That's really hard. Mm -hmm. Did that make everything much harder after that? Or did you feel like, well, I don't know, what was your mental state at this point anyway? I mean, that's a lot to have to deal with, right? But where were you mentally? I was not okay. Um, I was on edge. I was really, I would snap at my wife a lot. Um, I wasn't sleeping. I still had not slept more than two hours, maybe. And nights were worse because I'm supposed to be laying in this bed where I'm getting eaten alive. Mm -hmm. And um, this kid is next to me in his little bassinet crying every three hours. Or mm -hmm. if he's not crying, I should get him up anyway because mm -hmm. I'm supposed to be nursing him. Right. And I'm still not ready to sign over onto formula. Yeah. And I hated pumping. And at this point, I still didn't know that the Affordable Care Act helps cover lactation consultants with your insurance. That's very good to know. Um, I didn't know that they covered that either, but I knew they cover like free pumps and all mm -hmm. that. I'd had no idea. So that's some good info. Yeah. I did not know that. Well, some Google. everybody helps. knows now yeah. that's listening to this. That's yeah. amazing. My lactation consultant was actually free. My insurance covered 100% of her. Love it. From birth to weaning. So if I nurse him till five, which I don't plan on doing, but right. if I did, if you did, she would be covered. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. Mm -hmm. Love that. That's mm -hmm. so empowering for a lot of people yeah. that are feel like, what do I do? That's good to know. Um, well, you said you didn't know that at the time. Right. I did not know so. that at the time. I am super anxious. Um, I have some postpartum OCD, which is very different than normal OCD. Mm. Um, it's actually where you um you think that anything you or someone else does will kill or harm your baby hmm. in some way it's not like i need to check the locks five times right um it's more like i need to be extra careful because my baby's gonna die or get sick or something wrong is gonna happen with him i got to the point where i couldn't leave the apartment my anxiety was intense skyrocketing hmm. and i was super super depressed um I thought it was just because I had just had a baby and I wasn't really sleeping. Um, oh, yeah. Well, and we were dealing with Fleagate of oh, 2018. God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I think after the dust had settled from the fleas, I'm still super on edge, still not sleeping, still snapping at my wife for every single little thing. And she finally looks at me and says, you're not okay. And I break down. Mm. And I said, you're right. Not, I'm not okay. I need I need to see someone. And so I got help. And how did you go about getting help? I asked my OBGYN for some referrals. And at this point, I'm 10 weeks past okay. Okay. postpartum. Yeah. And so she gives me a list and none of them are covered under my insurance. And so I go through my insurance and everyone I'm like researching has really bad reviews or mm. doesn't know much about postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. And um, I found one woman near me that was like 
having groups and all sorts of stuff for postpartum, but she was not covered by my insurance. And out-of-pocket pay was just not in our budget Yeah. after dealing with all the fleas. Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, yeah. And having a baby. Like, yeah. That's really expensive. Yes, it is. Um, and finally, my insurance gave me a name. And this woman specializes in postpartum depression. And actually, she specializes in perinatal care. Okay. So before, during, and after. Mm-hmm. And she works with um, maternal mental health. She's amazing. And I don't know that I could say enough about her that would cover the greatness that she is. Oh, good. I'm so glad you found her. So you started seeing, did you start going like once a week to talk to her or like how often? Yeah, I was seeing her once a week. And then the more that came out Mm -hmm. of me, of why I was so not okay, we decided that I would see her two times a week. So I still see her two times a week. Oh, good. Um, we're dealing with quite a bit of stuff, but yeah. I'm doing better. That's really good to know. So, you know, I think probably the most difficult thing when you're having a really hard time and you feel like you're in a cave and you can't get your head above water, it's really difficult to even get the energy or the motivation to reach out and do the research and find somebody, you know, like, I feel like just overcoming that initial hurdle of pushing through to get someone to talk to and can be really a hard, the hardest part about it. It took uh, almost a month to find someone, which is actually a short time. Right. Um, But I'm not a stranger to therapy. Mm. Um, I've had my own shit, so to say, Um, like an eating disorder. I'd been in therapy for a long time. Um, so I knew what kind of therapist I needed. Okay. And I did a lot of interviews on the phone. Oh, um, that's good. That's good and, advice to do that. So you can compare before you commit to somebody. Yeah. And I mean, there's like questions you should ask to see. I don't know. Everyone has their own particular questions yes. and needs that they need met. And if the therapist you're talking to doesn't mark, you can't check off all your boxes, mm-hmm. then I wouldn't see them. Very good advice. Because you are putting a lot of time and energy into taking care of yourself. And if mm-hmm. this person isn't helping you or needing meeting your needs, then mm-hmm. why waste the time and energy? I couldn't agree more. That's really powerful advice. I think that's going to be really important for a lot of people to hear. I've never been very good at asking for help, which as a as a new mom, if you don't learn to get out of your comfort zone, Everything is a, a vulnerable thing, I think, about about giving birth and becoming a new mother yeah. and experiencing all these new things. And if you can't get to the place where you can ask for help and then be persistent mm-hmm. about taking care of yourself, then it's going to be really hard. Yeah. So the sooner you can just do it, probably the better. So that's amazing that you found her. You said you're still going to her. So mm-hmm. do you feel like the depression still is pretty consistent or it comes in waves? Or do you feel that you're being you're able to really manage it a lot better because you have someone to talk to on a regular basis? Um, it definitely comes in waves. The waves are a little shorter. Mm-hmm. When I first started seeing her, she said that she would only continue to see me if I saw a psychiatrist because okay. she knew that I had a lot of stuff going on that Mm -hmm. I wasn't aware of quite yet. And I hesitated a lot with that because I was, I was over medicated when I was younger Mm. and a lot of psychiatrists that I have seen in the past are kind of like you're in their office for five minutes, they give you a bunch of scripts and then you're out. Right. And so I had to also be really picky with psychiatrists. Okay. And 
my therapist had a bunch of referrals, but none of them were covered on my insurance. Oh, wow. Um, which really, really sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, but I finally found one and she's great, but she's leaving her practice right now and going into private care. So I have to revisit that. But yeah. the medication management has helped a lot. Okay, um, good. And she, my psychiatrist is really, um, she goes really, really slow. So when, let's say, for example, a normal medication, the average beginning dose is like 100 milligrams. She started me on like 0.75. Okay. Like really, really right. small right. amount. And when I was ready, she increased it. And um, now I feel comfortable telling her like this isn't working. Right. Um, right. That sounds like someone you can trust. Yeah. That's yeah. what you need yeah. ultimately, right? How do you feel that your relationship with your body has changed since becoming a mother, if at all? Hmm. That's actually a really good question. Um so you mentioned being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Having a baby makes you vulnerable. Mm-hmm. It also happens in your very, very vulnerable place. Mm. Um, and you kind of take that for granted. Um, like I just gave birth out of my vagina. And when you give birth out of your vagina, a lot of things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you've not come to a place where you're okay with things that have happened in your vagina or to your vagina – it brings up a lot of stuff because it's kind of traumatic having a baby. And there's people watching and people yeah. down in your vagina. Like all sorts of things are going on with your vagina. And if you've not made peace with your past history mm-hmm. of things that have gone on with your vagina, then that really comes up. So people, women who have maybe had sexual trauma, if they've not dealt with that and then they have a baby – and they are having this now new trauma happen to their vagina, mm-hmm. it can bring up a lot of shit. So without getting into too much detail, um, I'm dealing a lot with that trauma. I am coming to a new understanding of what my body does and having to form a new relationship with the way that it can create instead of punish, the way that it can heal instead of hurt. And the way that it can bring life forward instead of kill the inner life inside of me. That's really powerful. And that really touches me personally, because I can resonate with that for sure. And it's also on the flip side of that, if your vagina was your happy place before, and then it's basically torn up and right. and and going through a lot of shit, then... It can take a long time to find that happy place again. And it's very confusing, especially if you have traumatic birth injuries, but any type of birth. It doesn't matter if you had a C-section, I don't think. It's still the same idea. Your relationship with your happy place has changed. Mm -hmm. Or like you're saying, like those traumas come up. Yeah, there is a shift that happens. And I've been dealing with that also, where you just go like, what what is my relationship with my right. body and yeah. where what have i been told or learned in mm-hmm. my life that i need to unlearn and yeah, sort of get exactly. back to what's true mm-hmm. definitely like i thought i was okay with all of that stuff like i didn't mm-hmm. deal with it but i also i'm i had mentioned an eating disorder i had an eating disorder for a long time and i was at a place where none of that bothered me and i was like i'm good i can have mm-hmm. a baby now like Life can go on. Things are great. And then I have this baby and it's all back 
Mm. All the trauma's back. All the stuff I did not deal with is back. Mm. And I mean, I guess it's a good thing because now I can heal from that and be more present for my kid than I could have been had I not dealt with any of it. It doesn't make it any easier. No, but look at you. You're really, you're, you're being the best mom that your son. I'm really trying. (laughs) Yeah, because you are being brave and you're, you're digging into those spots that a lot of people don't want to go. Yeah. Which I think is pretty amazing. Yeah. I don't want to go there either, but I'm there. (laughs) So I can either sink or swim. And I think, I think if my kid goes through something, I would want him to swim. And if I can be that example for him, then I will be. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your story with me. Is there anything else that we didn't cover that you wanted to mention or any sort of parting advice you have for anyone who's about to go on this journey? Because insurance helps out, if not fully covers a lactation consultant, check it out before you give birth. Like, get someone on board. That's really Um, good advice. Very practical. Because they can come and help you before you have birth. They can come to the hospital and help you get that initial latch. And they, I mean, they're certified. They're just focusing on one area. Right. Making sure your baby gets fed. Right. And um, that, I didn't get my son checked, or I didn't have a lactation consultant come in until maybe he was three months old. And so that's three months of torture that Mm. I didn't need to endure had I just gotten one. Had I known, though. No one knows that the Affordable Care Act helps cover that. It's so true. Mm-hmm. And and the fact that you can even meet with them before you give mm-hmm. birth is amazing. So yeah. And there's so many groups out there that are not all the Leche League or whatever they're right, called. Right, that right. one's pretty intense. But there's lots of groups that are free and that will help you make mommy friends, mm. which is also another area yeah. <laughs> that really needs help. Yes, um, it's true. Um, on that note, another thing I would tell people is, um, have you heard of the app Peanut? I just heard about this. Yeah. Did you, it's like uh, mommy you, Tinder. Yeah. How is it? Have you tried it? I, I was on it for a little bit. And now one of my very, very dear friends I met through there and her baby was born five days before mine at the same hospital. Oh, I love hearing that. Yeah. She's, she's great. She's oh, that's amazing. so fun that the app is working to bring mommies together. Yeah. That's great. I mean, we're not sponsored by the app, but Peanut, if you want to sponsor. (laughs) Um, No, that sounds really cool. It's such a good idea because it is, it's like another thing that, you know, you want to get out there and meet other mommies, but it's like, where are you going to find them? Right, right. That's really hard, which is funny why it's, it's kind of like mommy tender. You swipe up or down and (laughs) um, you see what they're like before you go on a date with them. And it sounds great. I'm going to try it out. Really great. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you so much mm-hmm. for sharing all this with me. I love you. And love you um, too. baby play date needs yes, to happen. Please. Yes, please. Hey friends. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to my guest today. Honestly, it's really difficult to open up about mental health struggles. And as a new mom, it affects a lot of us, whether you are affected by the baby blues, postpartum depression, postpartum OCD, weaning depression, which is something I'm going to get into on another episode. There's a lot that we have to deal with. And it's just nice to know that you don't have to do it alone. If you need help, get help, reach out, find someone to talk to. 
Your life is valuable. Your feelings are valid. Your feelings matter. What you're going through is not ridiculous. It's not inconsequential. What you're going through matters. You're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. Trust me, you're not alone. Okay? You've got this, mama. And if you ever feel like you don't got this, then I want to invite you to use a couple of resources. Number one is www.postpartum.net. www.postpartum.net. There are resources on there. You can find the help that you need. If you ever feel like you're overwhelmed and you don't know what to do, text the National Crisis Text Line. Text HOME, H-O-M-E, to, and here's the number you text, 741741. Text HOME to 741741 from anywhere in the U.S. Someone is there to talk to you and to help you and to help you figure out what to do. If you like this show, the easiest way to show your support is to rate, review, and subscribe. The reviews I'm seeing are giving me life. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Every time I see one of your reviews, it's like Christmas morning. So thank you. Thank you for giving back to me with your feedback and encouragement. I really appreciate you. Another super easy way to support this show is to share it with your friends and anyone you think that it might be helpful to. And a third way you can show your support is to click the link in the show description and buy me a cup of coffee. Why not? You know, one-time donation. You can follow us on Instagram at birthshow at birthshow or go to our website, www.birthshow.com. It's a free resource, birthshow.com. You're strong. You're amazing. You've got this. I love you. We'll see you next time. This is a Sync Studios production.